when there's struggles and people are like, well, I don't know, what are we going to do? I know what we're going to do. We're going to trust Jesus. That is the option. There's no contingency plan. That is the option. We're going to trust Jesus. If he's brought us to it, he will lead us through it. Welcome to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. It is a joy to have you listening today, and we pray that you will be encouraged, challenged, and motivated to live for God like never before. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor John Couch. Father, as we come before you, we, we just simply say we love you. Apart from you, we can do nothing. So Father, we admit right now in joyful submission to you that apart from you, we can do nothing. But God, your word goes on and says that with you, all things are possible. So Father, I pray for every heart that is listening right now. Holy Spirit, we pray by Your power. Would You do a work today? Lord, I pray You'd work in my heart. I pray You'd work in each heart that's listening. That that God, we would be in tune with You. That we'd set our affections on You that You would truly be our treasure. Not because You go our way, not because You give us what we want, but because You're simply the treasure. So Father, I pray, would You move and stir in power. We pray against the schemes of the enemy. We pray against disobedience. Defiance, rebelliousness, discord. Father, we pray against all of His vices, all of His lies, as He is the Father of all lies, as He's the accuser of the brethren, as He's a schemer, the slanderer. We pray against that today and we rest in the royal righteous blood of the risen Savior, King Jesus. And so, Father, as You move, break open our stony hearts. Create in us a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me, within us today. God, as we open Your glorious truth, I pray we would cling to it with a desperation. I pray we'd cling to it with a desperation, with a, with a joy, with a hope, with an intensity, with a fervency, oh God. Have Your way right now. Have Thine own way. You are the potter. We are the clay. Not the other way around. And so do whatever you need to do in this moment. And we'll be quick, oh God, to give You the praise as we decrease. We'll be quick to give You all the glory as Your glory rises above us. We'll be insistent that Your name is high and lifted up as we go low and You go high. Oh God, don't allow us to waste these next moments, but help us to dig deep into the treasure trove of Your Word to write it on the tablet of our heart that we might not sin against You. Oh Lord, do the work. Bring the revival today. And we pray this all in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen. Take your Bible and turn to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Looking at verses 3 through 5 today and... The title of the message today is simply the question of, is my hope, is your hope, is it living 
or is the reality your hope is dead? Marinate on that for a moment. Is my hope, is your hope, is it living, or is the reality, it's dead? Our mission here at this church, as you know, is that we exist for the glory of God to be disciples of Jesus that make disciples of Jesus with a theme in 21 that we're all in in 21. That there's a, a desperation, that there's a holy on reverence of the King Himself, Jesus, that we want to be all in. Uh, we live in a culture today that actually endorses, promotes that you're actually all out. Now, you get applauded for not being all in today. It's just part of the way our world works. Don't be committed to anything. That way you got loopholes and back doors to get out of anything. And yet God, through His Word, shows it very clearly that we're either for Him or we're against Him, but you can't ride the fence because Satan owns the fence. Is your hope, truthfully, is it living or is the reality it's dead? I was thinking through that thought, and I don't need to tell you this unless you're living under a rock, but our country's in trouble. Not because we're so committed to Jesus. That's not the issue. What you're seeing unfold in our country is what happens when a country rebels against Jesus. And as those on the side of the enemy are trying to dismantle the truth, here's the insanity of that venture. You can never dismantle the truth of God's Word. It's impossible. How do you know? The Bible says so. The Bible says it like this, that the light, the light of the gospel will never, never be diminished nor be overcome by the darkness. Now that's a hallelujah shouting time moment, even for Baptists, amen? Because it's so easy to live in this life without any hope. Turn it on the TV and you're like, this is crazy, this is insane. And the more you see it, the more depressed and discouraged you get. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Some people I know wonder why we take the truth of God's Word so seriously around here. Well, for a myriad of reasons, one being that we know it's the truth of God's Word that will set you free. It's high time that we have a group of men and women all across our country that begin to stand with courage, biblical courage, biblical fidelity. Gone are the days when you can ride the fence. They're gone. They're gone. At some point, you're going to get called out at work. I'm going to call you out. You can no longer waffle, give a kind of a milky toast answer somewhere in the middle. You have to fall one way or the other. Is your hope living or is it dead? MacArthur says it like this, if your conscience is to function the way God designed it, If it's going to shed the light of the truth into your soul and hold fast to a standard of morality, you need to calibrate it to the light of the highest, purest, truest moral law. You need to conform your conscience to the truth of God's Word, end quote. It's high time. It's high time. It's high time we wake out of our sleep, wake out of our slumber, and begin to realize there's a battle going on around us. And we have the victory. It's more than a song. It's a testimony for the true believer. For the true believer, victory in Jesus is just an anthem of what you've been taken from and what you've been taken to. That you've been saved from the darkness and now you're walking in the light. You're no longer in sin, but you're in truth. That is the anthem for the true believer. It's high time. It's high time. It's high time that some men and women and students become courageous 
It's high time that some men, women, students say, I will be in. Count me in. Like I'm in. No matter what comes my way, I'm in for Jesus. It's high time. And yet the reality is, A.A. Hodge said years ago, many years ago, he said this, it's easier to find a score of men wise enough. When's the last time you said the phrase score of men? It's easier to find a score of men wise enough to discover the truth than to find one intrepid enough in the face of opposition to stand for it. End quote. It's just too easy to go along to get along. It's just too easy to just kind of sit on our hands. But I pray today when we see God's Word for the truth in it that I pray we will fall one way or the other and prayerfully we will fall at the feet of Jesus. So here it is. Is my hope living or dead? 1 Peter 1, 3-5. through The Word of God says this, the ESV translation Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, exclamation point, and all God's people said, amen. According, very important, according to whose great mercy? His. What did He do? He has caused us to be born again Hmm. to a living hope, a living hope. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Verse 4, to what? To an inheritance. Oh, our ears perked up on that one, didn't they, church? That is what? Imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and kept in heaven for you. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, and may God add His blessing to the reading, to the exaltation of His Word. Amen? Powerful, powerful text. Is your hope, is it living Or is the reality, it's dead. My concern all over our country today and churches all over our country today is that we have not just walking wounded, but walking dead. I was thinking about that thought because you cannot get away from this question, is my hope living or is it dead? We can try to circumvent it. We can try to ignore it. We can deny it. But the reality is we all have to face it We're either each living in one camp or the other, a living hope through Christ, or a hope that's grounded in self and is on a cul-de-sac going nowhere. I was thinking about that thought, and I made this, this statement. I wrote this down. I said, by the way, you cannot ignore this question. Every human will have to face this question head on. This question is the actual pulling back of the curtain on the deceitfulness of sin is what it's doing. True hope can't be dead. And yet the reality is that people all across our country claim a spiritual hope that at best is on spiritual life support. And at worst, and at worst, is already in a casket. That's why denial is one of the key weapons in the enemy's arsenal. Just ignore it. It'll somehow go away. No, that false narrative will eventually be exposed for what it is. Truthfully today, is your hope living or is it dead? First Peter here in verse 3 as he comes out of the gate swinging from 1 and 2 of last week saying, hey, I'm, I'm Peter, I'm the author, I'm this apostle of Christ, which we looked into that, and on one extreme there's Peter, and sure enough, 
on that one occasion, Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Uh, Not a good thing if you're taking notes on what you want Jesus to call you, amen? And he said it like this. He said, this is the reason I'm calling you this, because you have in mind the things of men and not the things of me and the Father. And then he goes on in his life, and we know that he denied Christ there those three times. And in the midst of all of this, Jesus on that front end of that conversation originally is saying, Peter, you are the rock. I'm going to take your mess, and I'm going to create a glorious message. I'm not going to give up on you, Peter. And you know the story. He goes on to be a fearless leader. He went from a coward to a fearless leader. We're not going to obey you, you Pharisees who tell us not to preach in the name of Jesus. We're going to obey God. And it's amazing how God can take that life that, is such, that had such spinelessness spiritually, and then when Jesus comes on the scene, Jesus invades that heart. He takes over that life. It is absolutely astounding what God can do as we turn our lives over to Him. Not just an external profession. I'm talking about take my life. Take my life and use it for your glory. Look at the outflow of what happens from that life. Now he's writing these epistles, First and Second Peter. And he starts here in verse 3, and what does he say? Well, he says, blessed be the God, look in your Bible, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Everything is an outflow of us first giving praise and glory to our God, amen. It's pure worship. It's undefiled. The motive there is pure. The motive says, God, I want you, even if you don't go my way, even if you don't give me my Christmas list, even if you say no, I'm still running hard after you. Because the question in this life, it's not hard to follow Jesus when he says yes. That's fairly easy. The question is not, in your life and my life today, are we going to bless him like Peter is saying and proclaiming for us to do, as he's writing there, by the way, to those people that have been dispersed, both Jew and Gentile, we could argue there that he's writing to them, and as he's writing to them, he's saying, look, in the midst of your persecution, in the midst, God is already not going your way. He says, I got an idea for you. Why don't you bless his name? Have you ever done that when you're going through hardship in your life? When God is not going your way? Have you ever said, you know what? No more pity parties. No more Chernobyl meltdowns. I'm going to bless His name. They'll preach a thousand sermons right there to your neighbors. They see you going through the hardship and the difficulty and the family's falling apart, or your financial collapse, or you got a health report that's not positive, and in the midst of the storm that you're able to truthfully, truthfully say, though He may slay me, yet I will trust in Him. Peter's writing from a position of being greatly persecuted. Walking that road, now he's pouring into these other believers saying, look, don't lose heart, because if your hope is really living, how can you lose heart? I was thinking about prayer here, and as you know, I'm thinking a lot about prayer. And prayer really does birth the revival. It's all about prayer and praying and seeking the Lord and His will, and our kingdoms be crushed. His kingdom come. His will be done, our will be exterminated. And Blackaby said it like this, and it really moved and stirred me to the core. And I pray it'll move and stir you to the core. He asked a question. He said, if revival in America depended on your prayer life, 
would there be revival? If revival in America depended on my prayer life, would there be revival? There is something that happens in a person, a home, a family, a ball team, a church, that when they begin to get honest and open before the Lord, no more blame shifting, no more denial, no more walking in lukewarm mediocrity, but they say, you know, we're all in, we're going to do whatever we need to do, whatever we need to do, we're going to do this to, to get the gospel out. There is something powerful that happens in those lives. But it all starts with that verse 3, blessed, praise, worship, who? The Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, how? According to His great mercy. In other words, flowing down from His great, literally His abounding, indescribable, you could say even muchness, so to speak. This great mercy. This mercy here is a relentless kindness. It's a mercy that we receive not because that we are due it. We receive mercy even though we're due eternal damnation. Like, I deserve hell. I don't deserve heaven. And when you grab onto that one statement in your life, when you begin to understand that you and I, apart from the blood of Jesus Christ, that we deserve hell, an overwhelming sense of humility will flood your soul. An overwhelming sense of gratitude and appreciation will flood your soul. All pride will be gone. Well, you don't want yourself anymore. You just want Jesus when you understand that. The problem is so often we think we deserve heaven. And what a prideful, slippery slope that is. According, flowing down from His mercy, He has caused, He's caused us to do what? To be born again. Did you catch this? Let me read this again. He has caused us, in your Bible in front of you, to be born again. To be made new. This is one of those wow moments. I mean, think about this. He's caused me and you, if you're a true believer today, and by the way, you're in one of two camps. You are either truly saved and you've given your life to Christ, or you are not truly saved and you haven't given your life to Christ. And by the way, there will be a marked change between the two. You can't somehow vacillate between the two. Now, our culture says that because our culture says this, don't be committed to anything. Just kind of hang around, visit God occasionally, give Him a couple bucks occasionally. Your life's good. That's a lie from the pit of hell. God's Word is very clear when Jesus says, you are either for me, you are either all in, or you're against me, you're all out. For those that argue, well, I'm partial in, well, you've just now argued you're totally out. You can't be partially in and be totally in. can't happen. There's a life that when you realize, when I realize how desperate I am that you are for the blood of Jesus Christ to wash over your heart, mind, and soul, when you see that for what it is, when you truly see it for what it is, how do you come out of that going, you know what, I think I'm going to be partially in. That's a person that does not understand their rescue. When you understand your rescue, did you notice, by the way, in our baptisms, we wear these shirts that say, rescued? Did you catch that already? That's intentional, by the way. They don't say, I raised a hand. They don't say, I said a prayer and did a cartwheel and jumped out of the balcony. What do they say? I got rescued. I mean, this right here is the greatest thing that will ever happen in your life. And yet so often inside the church, we celebrate it as though it's not that great. Peter says, look, I was once over here, and I was living in self and sin and shame. I denied Christ, 
but something happened. He radically got a hold of my life. He gripped me. My life has never been the same again, Peter's saying. Oh, blessed, worthy, worship, doxa. Oh, praise the name that's above every name. And when you and I begin to do that and we see we're born again, we've been brought from death to life. That's amazing, isn't it? I mean, what do you do when a new baby's born? Typically, that is. What do you do? Well, you ooh and you ah, don't you? It's pretty cool, isn't it? Especially if they're related to you. It's really cool, Amen. Well, you pull out the pictures, and this is amazing. For those that are born again, there's a physical birth, but now there's a spiritual birth. They have been transferred from that death to death, a physical death and a spiritual death, to life to life. There's nothing greater. There's nothing greater. I don't know what you're trying to achieve in this life. I don't know where you're heading. I don't know right now you got this list in your mind that if I just get this and just go here and move here and marry this person and you know, do this, you know, there we go. And when you get there to the end of that list, will God be there? That's the question. So often He's not, is He? If we're truthful, we're born again. We were lifeless and we've been infused with a spiritual life that nothing in this world, nothing will ever bring us. How? Well, what's it say right there? Through what? The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. How many people today believe that Jesus Christ is not dead, but He's fully alive? Anyone besides me? Amen, right? He is not dead, but He is fully alive. He conquered sin and death, and the tomb is forever empty. It should give us a confidence that in the midst of the struggle, in the midst of the disappointment, in the midst of all that's going on in your world and my world that, that I don't like and that you don't like, and we're just kicking and screaming to God, saying, God, why are you allowing this to happen in my life? We can, we should have a contentment, a peace, a joy as we bless the Father. That's why key number one is so important in your notes. Key number one, I want you to write this down. By God's mercy, the true believer has been born again to a spiritual hope that is not dead, but alive. Let me read that again. Key number one, write it down. By God's mercy, not our own, the true believer, not the false one, has been born again, has been made new, has life pumped back into them, so to speak, to a spiritual hope that is not dead, but is alive. When Peter talks about a living hope, this is not a living, I'm crossing my fingers, well, I'm hoping this works out, uh, you know, I'm wishing. That's not what he's saying. Make a note here. When he uses this word hope in the original language, this is what this means. It's a confident expectation. Now just marinate on that for a minute here. We use the word hope very loosely, don't we? I hope when I get home there's a plate of chocolate chip cookies. And all God's people said, amen, right? He's saying here, because of what Christ did, because of His atoning work, because of that propitiation that satisfied the wrath of God, because of Christ and His mercy and His grace, His love that cannot be explained, His love that cannot even be explained, because of that, because of that, we have a living, it's alive, it's not dead, confident expectation. And it's just so easy, isn't it, in this life to, to live with a dead 
hopelessness. All while claiming, all while claiming, we've been saved. It doesn't even make any sense. You're listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. All of Pastor Couch's messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. In addition, you can share your prayer requests with us via email. Our email address for prayer requests is prayer at thisdayministries.org. That's prayer at thisdayministries.org. And now, back to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch. Peter says, look, he died, he arose, and spiritually dead people, I believe, often when they're spiritually dead, they'll make every excuse to avoid hearing the truth. They'll make every excuse to avoid being under the truth. Why? Because it's offensive. But the offensiveness is exactly what God uses to break the stony heart. When He breaks through in the stony heart, that's when the person finally gets set free. I was thinking about Titus. Titus 3, 4-7. Listen to, listen to what Paul is writing to Titus and keep in mind what Peter's already writing. Titus 3. Listen to these powerful words. But when the goodness, hey, I think we sang about that this morning, didn't we? But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Can any of us shout a hearty amen on that one? He saved us. Aren't you glad He saved us? He rescued us. He pulled us from the pit. He pulled us from the miry clay. What else happened? Well, there it is in Titus 3. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. This is amazing stuff. We've read from 1 Peter chapter 1, 3-5. through 5. Now we're in Titus. Do you see a similar message here? It's amazing how Scripture works. But according to His own mercy. How? By the washing. By the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Six, whom He poured out on us richly. How? Through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that, here's the why, verse 7, so that being justified, being declared righteous by His grace, by His unmerited favor, we might become heirs according to the hope, the confident expectation of eternal life. question for me and you today, truthfully, is your hope, is it living? Or is the reality your hope is dead? By the way, it's very easy to attend a church, serve in a church, and have your hope be dead. It's real easy. Is your hope truly living? Have you given your life to Jesus? Can you say today on this day that it's not perfect, but I've given my life to Christ and my life is no longer my own? Can you say that? Can I say that today? Here's the beauty. As Peter's writing, he's talking about this glorious hope, this glorious resurrection that we partake in with Christ. And there's going to be a great reward we're going to see right here in verse 4 to an inheritance. Now, anytime we say inheritance, man, we, our ears perk up, don't they? We're kind of like, ooh, tell me more about that story, preacher. We love the inheritance, don't we? You know, it's interesting what an inheritance will do to families, though. A physical inheritance can be a real blessing at times, and other times it can be a real curse. It's amazing what happens when money's on the table, isn't it? 
Peter's not talking about a physical inheritance, of course. He says it like this, what this, what does this hope look like is maybe how we could say it. You know, what does this hope look like? Well, look at verse 4. To an inheritance that is, number one, imperishable, number two, undefiled, number three, unfading, and number four, kept in heaven for you. There are so many people, even inside churches all across our country today, that put way more time into their physical retirement than they do into their spiritual retirement. It's just so easy to to delve into that. And the bottom line is we only live here for a short period of time. We're going to live in eternity, either with God or without Him. Those are the two options forever. Like forever, it will not end. And so often we get duped and snookered and tricked and swindled into putting all this energy into pleasing the flesh in this life when we should be denying the flesh in this life and storing up our treasure in heaven. There's going to be an inheritance. You know, inheritance, you could argue, is something given to someone as a future possession. I want you to think about that definition as we think about a spiritual inheritance. As you right now, as I right now, think about is my hope really living or is my hope truthfully dead? Because whether it's living or dead will now dictate what your inheritance is going to be. See, Peter, who is speaking here to the true believer, says, you have an inheritance. And I get this. I mean, typically it's given when the person dies, right? You get the inheritance. I understand this. But the reality when we look at this is that there is a possession that's waiting for the true believer in heaven. Have you ever thought about that before? It's waiting for you. For the true believer, it's waiting for you. Now think about this. I mean, what kind of inheritance is this? Well, there's four characteristics right there in your Bible. Number one, it's imperishable. What does that mean? Well, it means this, it cannot be corrupted. There's a military sense behind this original word that it cannot be taken captive. Isn't that awesome? Like if you are a true believer today, and again, I pray everyone is, if you're not a true believer here today and you've never truly given your life to Christ, my prayer right now as I'm talking is that today you'd get this straightened out. Because there's an inheritance waiting for me and you one way or the other. Oh, you'll get an inheritance when you're apart from Christ, and you don't want that inheritance. It's imperishable, though, the one in Christ. It cannot be corrupted. It cannot be taken captive. Well, you can have an inheritance in this life, and depending on the economy and the stock market, it may go up and down. Aren't you glad that the inheritance we have in Jesus doesn't go up and down? This is amazing, isn't it? When you really begin to grasp this deep theological truth that the inheritance that you and I have as true believers can never be corrupted. If you put some peaches on on your table, which praise Jesus for Georgia peaches, amen? Amen. I know know we had one guy saved here today, praise God. You put those on there and you let them sit there for two years, what's going to happen? That's going to be some interesting cobbler on your table, isn't it? It's going to perish. We have an inheritance church that cannot be corrupted. It will never perish. It's backed by the greatest savings and loan there is. With the greatest guarantee there is. Called the blood of Jesus. That's number one. Number two, it's undefiled unpolluted, unstained. Think about that. It cannot be corrupted, and it's free from any staining pollution. Isn't that awesome? Number three, it's unfading. For you flower lovers, you will understand this. For you flower lovers, think about this. You will get this. It's literally, the original word means this, perennial. You get it now, don't you? Yeah, it just lasts. I mean, think about the descriptors that Peter is using 
about this inheritance. And here's the problem. We live in a culture where we hate, we hate it, be honest, we hate delayed gratification, don't we? Well, I don't want to wait till then. I want it now. But the joyful, submissive, saved believer goes, oh, I do want it now, but I know it's being reserved. And I can't wait. I can't wait to cross the finish line. I can't wait to finally be home. I can't wait to enter into the joy of His rest. That's what the true believer hangs on to. Faithfully, faithfully journeying as a sojourner in this life. Not for self, but for the gospel. Well, number four, here it is right there in your text. It's kept in heaven. Beautifully, it's kept in heaven. Think about this. It's kept in heaven. It means this, to be preserved, to be watched over, to be shielded, to be guarded, to attend to carefully. Isn't that so awesome? So think about this. Your earthly inheritance, whatever that might be, that you're you know, going to give away to your children, your family members, that there it is. Take that on infinite spiritual steroids that the inheritance that God is giving to the true believer can never be explained in this life, can never be explained, and it's being kept. It's literally, there's an RSVP waiting for you. Just waiting for you. I mean, what other thing could you want in this life? That's why our key number two is so important. And here's what it is. Key number two, write it down. By God's mercy, the true believer has an eternal spiritual inheritance that this earthly life can never bring. Let me say that again. Key number two, write it down. By God's mercy, the true believer, not the false one, has an eternal spiritual inheritance that this earthly life can never bring. By the way, question, if someone was to leave you an inheritance, how would you treat those people that were involved in giving you the inheritance? Obviously, for this illustrated point, that if you get an inheritance for someone, they will have had to pass away. You can't treat them a certain way because they're no longer here. But what will you do? What will you do as you treat those around you who were involved in that? They gave you this massive pile of cash. And how do you treat them? Well, of course, you're going to treat them with love and, and be kind and courteous. And how do we treat God who's given us the greatest inheritance. You, could, you can't even describe this. And so often we just, yeah, whatever. There's God. See you in a few weeks. It just astounds me when you think about the inheritance that we receive. It is often the lack of fervor for His glory, for our own discipleship, and to go make disciples. We spend a lot of time acquiring things in this life. I get it. I live in this world, and I'm right there with you. But have you thought about this? As I was thinking this past week, whether I like it, whether you like it or not, we are all leaving a spiritual legacy. Everyone today listening is leaving a spiritual legacy one way or the other. Which spiritual legacy are you leaving? Like when it's my time and your time to exit this life, what will people say about us how we ran this race? What spiritual legacy are we leaving today? I began to process that thought, and I was stirred by Ephesians chapter 1. 
under key number two. Write down Ephesians chapter 1, 11 through 14. And Paul's writing here, you know, to the church in Ephesus. And listen to what he says. This is, again, how God connects dots through His Word. And you've heard me say this before, but the greatest commentary on Scripture is Scripture itself. Like, if you want a commentary on Scripture, start digging into the Scriptures. And you're going to see dot after dot get connected that there is zero probability that could be accomplished in the human flesh. Zero. So here's what Ephesians says. Ephesians 1. Listen to these words. We've went from 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5, Titus 3, 4 through 7. Now we're in Ephesians 1, 11 through 14. Listen to the parallels in these three different Scriptures. Here it is. In Him we have obtained... What? In Him we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things. Did you catch that, church? He works all things. Whatever you're dealing with today, He's working. He's working behind the scenes. He's working. He works all things, what? According to the counsel of His will. Now look at verse 12. So that, there's the why, so that we who were the first to hope, to hope in Christ, might be to the praise, the worship of His glory. In Him you also, verse 13, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee, here it is, I love this, Of what church? Of our inheritance. Until we acquire possession of it. To the praise of His glory. Praise be to God. Amen, church? Oh, the inheritance is so glorious. The inheritance is so rich. But you'll never have it. Unless you give your life to Jesus. My fear is there's going to be so many people that were good church-going people. And the reality is, they never gave their life to Jesus. Oh, I pray if that's you today, I pray the Holy Spirit would stir and move right now. So lastly, verse 5, what else do we know? about this inheritance for the true believer in Christ. Well, here it is. Let's just read the Scripture. Pretty simple. Verse 5, 1 Peter chapter 1, who by God's power, not our own, are being guarded, I love this, through faith for a salvation that's ready to be revealed when? In the last time. What's so easy in this life to buy into the lie that It's really up to us, isn't it, as far as pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. That's what the culture tells you. I'm all for hard work. I'm all for excellence. We should be the best workers out there. Man, we should be the best workers in the community. We're there early. We're there late. We're putting in our hours. We've got great attitudes. Man, that should be our mantra. I'm all for all that. But do you understand this? That ultimately the resurrection, the inheritance, who by God's power, right here it says, who by God's in the original dunamis. It's where we get our English word dynamite. Visualize that for a moment, church. By God's spiritual dynamite, by His power, by His strength, there is nothing too difficult for my God. I believe that. People often say over the years, you know, you're kind of facing you know, a struggle or a difficulty, and, and God's working in me. He's pruning in me. He's refining me of, of sin issues. He's refining me and pruning me of, of greater reliance on Him and trust in Him. And I'm at the point now where it's when there's struggles and people are like, well, I don't know, what are we going to do? I know what we're going to do. We're going to trust Jesus. 
That is the option. There's no contingency plan. That is the option. We're going to trust Jesus. If He's brought us to it, He will lead us through it. And so often, it's so easy to play in the kiddie pool of life and hang on to the handrail. And when with Peter, interesting, Peter, he said, take those nets and those boats. Go out to the deep. No, it doesn't make any sense, Peter. I get this. You don't go fishing like that during the daytime out in the deep. Trust me on this. I'm Jesus. I know I'm a carpenter. You're a fisherman. A carpenter with a hammer is trying to tell a fisherman with a net how to fish. Doesn't make any sense. Trust me, Peter, Jesus says. You go out into the deep. And when Peter had obeyed, they caught such a great catch of fish that the nets and the boats began to sink. Oh, how we need men and women and students of courage that will no longer play around in the spiritual floaties, but will jump off the high dive into the deep end of the pool saying, send me, God. If no one else will go, have it be me. And yet it's risky to the flesh. But it's not risky if you truly understand your spiritual inheritance. See, God's power is guarding, shielded, protected. It's interesting that when you look at this word here that, again, Peter pulls from a military illustration. And when you look at that word guarded there in the ESV, there's a protection There's protection with great intensity from any military onslaught. So I want you to picture this as we're piecing all these puzzles together. So here's Peter, and he says, look, we're going to bless the Lord. And as we bless Him, He's doing amazing things. And we have a living hope, not a dead hope, but a spiritual hope that's alive, that's working, that's active. And in the midst of this, oh, by the way, you look at the second point, and there it is. This inheritance cannot be corrupted. It can't be tainted. It can't be polluted. It's being kept in heaven. It's waiting for the true believer. Just, just waiting. And then Peter just puts a big red bow on it. I mean the biggest red bow you can picture. Like on the top of those cars, right? Around Christmas time. One of those big red bows. He says, it's being. Your inheritance is being guarded, shielded, protected, standing at the door by God and His power. I don't know about you, but that gives me a great confidence. Why? It's through faith. See that? It's being guarded through faith, through fidelity. And it's interesting that when you think of Peter writing and you go back to Ephesus and Paul is writing there in Ephesians 6, 10 and following about the spiritual battle and as the fiery darts are being slung, Paul's describing to take up the shield of faith. Don't you love Scripture? Let me read this again if you're not getting this. Who by God's dunamis, by God's dynamite, by His power, are being shielded, protected from an intense military onslaught. The military that we're talking about here is the spiritual military called the enemy. And he's slinging his darts being guarded through faith. We take up the shield of faith that will quench the fiery darts. For what? For salvation? For rescue? It's ready to be uncovered. It's ready to be made known when in the last time, the end times, At Christ's return. Let me ask you a question. Do you think that that return, do you think that that inheritance upon that return, do you think it'll be worth it all to wait that long for that inheritance? It's going to be glorious, isn't it? 
That's why our final key is key number three. And here it is. By God's mercy, the true believer is being guarded through faith, and their eternal rescue will be worth it all when we stand face to face with King Jesus. Write that down. By God's mercy, the true believer is being guarded through faith, and their eternal rescue will be worth it all when we stand face to face with King Jesus. I mean, do you really think that those who have never given their lives to Christ and they end up in an eternity apart from God forever? There's no do-overs, by the way. There's no instant replay. You don't get any second chances. Like, you're either in or you're out. That's how this works. Do you think those that are not in God's presence forever, can you imagine? Can you imagine the regret? Can you imagine looking back and saying, what have I done? For the true believer, when we stand face to face with King Jesus, all the lies, the deception, the slander that's come your way for standing tall for the gospel, it's going to be worth it all when we stand face to face with the King. What a day that's going to be. That's why Colossians says it like this, Colossians 3, 1 through 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, the true conversion, referring to there, Paul is to the church in Colossae, seek the things that are above. Hmm, okay. Where Christ is. Interesting. Seated at the right hand of God. Verse 2. Set, missile lock, fasten, hold fast to your minds on the things that are above, eternal, not the things on this earth. For you have died, and your life is now hidden with Christ. Isn't that awesome? For the true believer, there's been a death. There's been a death. You're like, I have died to self. My life is no longer my own. I've taken off that old man, that old woman, and I've put on the new man, the new woman that's clothed in Christ's righteousness. Oh, as we've done that, what happens? It's so beautiful, isn't it, church? You see this, that we've died and we are now hidden with Christ. What does that mean? We are shielded we are guarded. We are protected. No matter what comes your way in this life, if people take your life for the cause of the gospel, so be it. That won't be a tragedy. You want to know what the tragedy is? The tragedy is the droves of people who sit in churches every week who've never given their life to Jesus. That's the tragedy. That's why the takeaway question is this. Is my spiritual hope living or dead? Truthfully, is my hope spiritually, is it living or dead? Let me follow up with a second question under that. If you've answered that it's dead, does that bother you? It's okay to be bothered. It's actually a good thing to be bothered. The Holy Spirit works in bothering us, doesn't He? In a good way. That conviction that's there, not a condemnation, but a conviction to say, yeah, my hope's dead. I've never given my life to Jesus. Denial is a really bad game plan. And it's just too easy here in America to play games with God. See, the battle in your life and my life actually is not on the outside, I'm learning. The battle's actually on the inside. And as we wage war against the enemy of self and completely die empty of self, that's where God does a fresh and new work. 
And I think the challenge, as I've seen over the years in ministry, is in all my travels, you can make this statement that I think one of the glaring poisons today across America is we have droves of unsaved people that are trying to act like saved people. And you can't act like someone who you've never really given your life to. How about you today? Is your hope living or is it dead? That's why the action step as we conclude is this. By the power of the Holy Spirit, I will seek to daily walk in humble submission to the truth of God's Word. By the power of the Holy Spirit, I will seek, there's intentionality, to daily walk in humble submission to the truth of God's Word. See, the reality is if you've never given your life to Christ, any talk of truth and biblical fidelity will just seem as gibberish. The heart's hardened, the eyes are blind. The ears are clogged. And if you're living year after year in unrepentant sin, what's happening is you are now searing your conscience. And over time, I've seen this happen. Over time, what happens is as the unrepentant sin continues to go on, the conscience gets seared and seared and more seared. And right seems wrong, and wrong seems right. And I've seen families get destroyed in the process. So here's the conclusion. John 5, 39-40. John 5, 39-40. Jesus says, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is... They that bear witness about me. Yet, here's the key, verse 40. Yet you refuse to come to me. You refuse to give your life to me that you actually may have life. This is the whole gospel. You don't hang on to your life and then acquire Jesus' life. That's not how this works. You give your life to Him. You die to self. He gives you a new life, and you now walk in freedom. And yet, just like those of the day, I believe we have many all across our country. They read the Scriptures. They're doing a lot of external good things. Yet they refuse. There's a hard, rebellious, stiff-necked heart says, I'm not going to do this. And unfortunately, they will never have true life. Are you all in? You know, I was thinking about this earlier. Whether it's me, whether it's anyone that works here, whether it's a deacon, a Sunday school teacher, a volunteer, we need to begin to have such an accountability that whatever role we've signed up for, we take it so seriously that people are counting on us. They're counting on us. That the mission's really going to happen. They're, they're counting on me. i got to be there. i got to do this because they're counting on me. It's just too easy to just float along. Oh, I pray today that if you've never given your life to the Lord, I pray, I pray that today will be your day. I pray if you're living in sin, that today you'll repent. Don't walk in that anymore. Don't walk in lukewarmness, apathy, indifference. Be all in for Jesus. None of us are promised tomorrow. Don't get to the end of your life with regret. Choose this day who you will serve. 
Be a man, be a woman, be a student today that says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen. Father, we come before You today as we, we humbly bow before You. Father, I pray in this time, Lord, I just ask this would not be a normal time of singing a song, putting our Bibles away. God, I pray You would do something. Perhaps You're stirring in someone's heart right now. Maybe they've never given their life to You. Today's the day to not surrender some any longer, but to surrender all. Maybe it's one who has made the profession, but there's just a lot of apathy and indifference, to be honest. Maybe it's one who's made a profession, but there's a stiff-necked rebellion, a hard heart. God, would you speak? It's just too easy, Lord, to play church. Oh, I pray you'd move in this hour. Would you move right now? To stir, even right this moment. Give us clear direction what you want us to do next. And then help us to follow in obedience. To you be the praise, O oh God. To you be the glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. You've been listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. Don't forget that all of these messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. That's thisdayministries.org. In addition, if you have been blessed by the teaching of God's Word during This Day in the Word, we would love to hear from you. Our email address is info at thisdayministries.org. Thanks again for listening as we strive to honor Christ and impact our world as we spend this day in the Word.